Hello, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And today, we got a third person in the room. It's a very special guest. It's Tim Jenkins, quarterbacks coach, all things QB on YouTube. That's how I found Tim, was through his YouTube channel, all things QB. It's honestly a, a great channel, and everybody should go subscribe to it and watch all of his videos. He's got a bunch of Mac Jones stuff up there. I looked at all of his stuff before the draft on Justin Fields and Lance and uh, Wilson and Lawrence and all go all the way down the line. Everybody's up there. Tim, uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm pumped up. Thanks for having me. You guys have the uh, you guys have the best market right now in terms of quarterback play. I, I like that. I like that take by you. You're you're tell, you're making it exciting well, for us here. Let, let me just say, like I'm, I grew up. This was the best market for quarterback play, and I know that there's yep. markets that go. You know, I don't even want to say go 20 years. I've never had uh, this kind yeah. of experience, but that one year withdraw killed me. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's a it's the most dramatic, maybe I should say, because of how this is going to play out. But yeah, you guys had the goat for 20 years, so that's hard to beat. Right. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll take interesting. It doesn't even have to be necessarily GOAT level at this point, but uh, they, there's certainly some intrigue about it. Yeah. All right, so we're going to pick Tim's brain plenty here today about both Mac Jones and Cam Newton. And uh, we just did your podcast, Tim, uh, you and I, and I, I really liked a lot of things that uh, you had to say about Cam just in terms of what you saw from Cam last year and, and what he can improve upon uh, to potentially – continue to be the starter and beat out Mac Jones, or I guess I continue to be the starter is a better way of putting it, you know, and yeah. uh, hold that job as the incumbent. But what did you see watching Cam last year? And uh, we, we discussed how some of the narratives about the dirt balls and the inaccuracy and stuff like that, uh, we didn't really feel like that was where his true issues lie. And I, I want you to kind of explain that to people. Yeah, so for me, I, whenever I look at these quarterback situations, let's call them, where it's like, hey, someone was drafted or whatever. Like, you know, we have Denver where it's Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater, New England, I think, with Cam and and Mac. I try to look, hey, how can each of these guys win the job? Because that's the truth. It's not like Belichick sitting there right now like, I can't wait to switch to Mac Jones. He just wants to win football games. Now, whether it's Cam Newton or Mac Jones, he doesn't care, right? Someone's going to play and win. So I think the way Cam does it is – yeah, the, the dirt balls are frustrating for fans because they're like, why did we just kill those nine prairie dogs on that drive, right? Like, that's frustrating. What Cam really struggled with, though, was the condensed sets and picking up protection. He needs to elevate his game from, we would call it mic manipulation. So think of it as, hey, if 47 is actually the mic linebacker, a lot of times NFL quarterbacks don't mic him. They, they'll mic the Sam linebacker because it sets the protection in a better in a better way. So, and again, I know that's like uh, like a, a lot of football IQ, but just think of it as hey, not really miking the mic, but manipulating the protection so that we're all accounted for. That's what Cam needs to grow at. Because if Cam grows at that, then D coordinators will be scared to bring cover zero and and bring kind of really any variation of not someone deep. Because if he can pick stuff up and, and hunt with the football and attack downfield, that's going to bode really well then to force teams to sit back. And the second a team rotates from single high to two high against the Patriots, they're going to gash him with Cam Newton in the run game. So I think for Cam to win this job, of course, it'd be nice to eliminate the dirt balls. I don't think it's going to happen. What he needs to focus on is 
hey, making sure I'm in the right situation from a protection standpoint because that's going to lead him to being more aggressive with the football, which is going to lead them into, into better looks from a defensive perspective. So how much of that in your mind, or his lack of ability to do that last year, how much of that was inexperience? Like, is that something you'd notice him doing in Carolina, and it's just, you know, he didn't have the offseason with the Patriots, he had the limited practices, uh, or is it something he's never really done before and he's going to have to add to his game now? I, I would tell you I don't think he's ever done it, because I think what he added Auburn was so simple. And then you go to Carolina, and Carolina was trying to cater to him. He's the number one pick. They're installing a lot of the same stuff. They're staying in expanded sets. Think about it. Really rack your mind about Cam Newton and Carolina. How often did you see them in a bunch or condensed set? Rarely ever. Maybe when Christian got there. But but they did it to motion Christian out of the backfield and get a good matchup. Like, it wasn't like – it wasn't an exotic look. Whereas the Patriots are in duet and bunch – it feels like all game, right? They they got something going on all game from a condensed standpoint, and it's so much harder to identify pressure in a condensed situation. Now, what are the advantages, right? A lot of people say, well, then why does New England do it? Well, because then when you get man to man, you can rub the you know rub the heck out of people, right? The rub routes are insane from a condensed set. A lot of the rest of the NFL says you guys cheat and you pick people. I don't think so. I think it's a great rub route, you know. So that's where. They, he hasn't done it before. And so OT, Zoom OTAs and, and the way that meetings were structured last year. What we forget about is this. Everyone's saying OTAs isn't that big of a deal. The what, Why it's a big deal is because football people in general have giant egos. When I was playing with the Rams, I was sitting there looking at Sam Bradford, who was worth $100 million, and thinking, this guy sucks. Right? We all are just like... <laughs> You don't get there unless you have, like, a different ego. Like, it's just stupid, but we right. all add it. The biggest thing they were missing from not having real OTAs is Cam Newton was learning from tape of other people. And when other people are messing up or doing the right thing, you sit there as a player and go, ah, I'll, I'll do that different. When you have OTAs and it's actually you messing up on film, it's so much easier to coach these guys. Like, for me, when I coach these quarterbacks, when P.J. Walker comes back into town and I show him a clip of someone else messing up, it's easy for him to be like, oh, you know, I'd do it different. When I show him his red zone interception, boy, that hits home differently. And that's what we miss with OTAs, and that's where I think that learning curve, it got masked early on because no one knew what the hell that New England was going to do with the run game and everything else. It just showed up later post-COVID because people figured out how to stop him somewhat in the QB run game. And then they just were like, dude, Miami heated him up, you know, 10 times in zero and got home six times. Let's just do that. And that's where I think it was a compounding issue. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you brought up the points about the protection and stuff like that because we saw it, you know, first of all, we're also used to Tom Brady coming up to the line of scrimmage and resetting the mic and pointing out blitzers and guys are like, how does he know I'm blitzing, right? And, and Cam last year at one point, he uh, said early on in the season, he said, look, there's a lot of things that I got to think about in this offense, right? I got to come to the line. I got to set the protection. I got to make sure that there's no blitz on it. There's no uh, pressure look on. Then I have to to read the pre-snap coverage and get the shell pre-snap and then it rotates so then I got to figure out the rotation and then I got to figure out the option routes based off the rotation and he he broke this all down at one point and he was like this is a lot like this is a lot of stuff that I got to think about and now I'm just thinking and I'm not 
playing. You know, I'm not, it's not free. It's not reactive. It's reactive. It's not, I'm not just doing it innately. And when you watch Cam Newton at Auburn in Carolina, when he was at his best, when he's winning Heisman trophies and MVP awards, he just played. Right. He just, yeah. and he had this really like freewheeling style about him. He's, you know, the huge smile, the bravado, the confidence. He just, he just played football and he was just really good at it. And when you watch him last year with the Patriots, there were times where that would come out every once in a while, but the majority of the time you saw a guy that was struggling and you saw a guy who had the gears turning in his head and it just wasn't all there. So, you know, I think that's such a great point about OTAs and, and about kind of failing on your own and not watching somebody else fail, but failing on your own. And then, like you said, as it translated to the games, I I pointed out the Denver game to you early. They brought that zero blitz late and he threw the wayward pass into kill Harry Houston. They brought a double edge presser blitz against the Patriots on fourth down in the game, right? It's, it's fourth down. The Patriots have to pick it up to, in order to uh, win the game. And Houston just brings this blitz and there's a free runner off the edge. Cam tried to spin out of it. He wasn't able to spin out of it and the game is lost right and and those were the things that we continually saw and it wasn't so much the dirt balls it wasn't so much the mechanical issues of the footwork it was those plays that really killed them because they were in a lot of those games right they were in those games late but when we get to the end and and it push comes to shove, teams were choosing to all-out blitz them. They were choosing to zero blitz them or bring an extra rusher, and they didn't react well to it. The Patriots didn't get it blocked, and they lost games because of it, especially late in the season, and that is uh, such a key part of all of it. But uh, we can talk a lot more about Cam, who uh, I still think has a shot to, to keep, keep this job, so I'm yeah. glad that we were, did talk about him for a few minutes. But we brought you on, Tim, to, to discuss the new guy in town, Mac Jones, and uh, break down his tape. And I want to, before we get into the Patriot stuff about Mac Jones, I just wanted your opinion about Mac before he was drafted by New England, right? Because I think a lot of people's opinions since he got drafted by the Patriots has changed one way or the other. You either love him, love him now because he's got a Patriot uniform on, or you hate him because you have a Patriot uniform on, but what did you see out of Mac Jones in the pre-draft process, yeah. process that you liked or didn't like? Uh, I So, you know, it's probably my bias, too. I think it's always important. Everybody has bias, right? And, and seeing that I was very unathletic, it's nice to see a guy with a dad bod, you know, in this so, so highly thought of. You know, I loved Mac's game, and here's why I loved it. Everyone sold me so before I watched this tape, everyone sold me as he's got the best receivers, everyone's wide open, the pocket's perfect. Turn on the Tennessee tape, the pocket ain't yeah. perfect. The pocket's messy, he manipulates well. Like, listen, is he athletic? No, dude. We all would beat him in a 40, right? He's not, like, going to go out there and look like Lamar Jackson. But you don't have to to win football games if you operate in your skill set good enough, right? Mac can make someone miss in a phone booth, which is all that matters to play quarterback in the pocket. So uh, I, the other thing that, that I was sold was, hey, his receivers are so much better and they're wide open all the time. If you want to talk about a talent spread, you need to talk about Trey Lance. Trey Lance was an FBS team playing an FCS schedule, right? Like, their talent spread was insane. I didn't see a single time where Mac Jones' tight end was open with 30 yards of spread on each side. And I saw that multiple times on the North Dakota State tape. So what I was kind of sold, I felt like, wasn't true. And then when I started to dive into the tape, he has enough arm talent. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a power thrower because I don't think he is. 
He has enough arm talent for deep shots. Where he's going to succeed in the NFL is the modified quick game. That, like, hey, it's not the three-step slant, it's the five-step glance. Those kind of things he is going to excel at. And what you got to love about the Alabama tape is everything that's not sexy to an evaluator or to a fan in what we just talked about Cam struggling with, mic manipulation, run game checks, all those things that he was doing at Alabama immediately translate to the NFL. So I was super high on him. I know there's a lot of people that just were like, well, when you look at this draft, there's so much other guys with giant upside. But the upside thing is all BS too. Tell me what Tom Brady's upside was when he came out of Michigan. Like, and, and so to me, this is what I've always, I've always argued with people. The ceiling, it, you know, hey, if a ceiling exists for a prospect, can they bust through it? And everyone's like, oh yeah, look at Drew Brees, look at Tom Brady. So then the ceiling doesn't exist, right? You're either good in the NFL or you're not. And Mac just has every single tool that would make me think he's going to be better sooner than a lot of these other guys were in this draft class. And that's where, I, you know, I felt really good about him. And ultimately, you know, I had an interaction with the kid where I just felt like this is a dude who's literally going to keep a kill list of, like, who was drafted in front of me and make sure I outlast them. And that reminds me a lot of the guy that you guys yeah. have. So that's where the Mac four. That's what we're gonna call yeah. it. <laughs> that's where I ultimately have the best feeling about him. And I agree. I agree. I mean, I was kind of preaching because I, I was into Mac Jones in October. I was telling Evan in October that this was the he guy. Was. Um, and, and my whole thing was floor not ceiling. And your the, the floor is outstanding. I, I want to ask you one thing. You mentioned the Alabama tape and, and the 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 myth. I call it the myth about the talent. And yeah. and yes, yeah, some of his receivers are open. I'm just curious if you saw it this way. I feel like his receivers were open, but at the end of the day, the ball's right there. Like, how much did you see them yeah. actually having to adjust versus the the placement and Mac putting it in the right spot? And it just it's it's all about how you want to look at it, and that's where this whole thing is kind of you know it's tough for me because there's so many people that they'll look at Mac Jones throwing that speed corner to Devonte Smith in the red zone, and they'll say, "What a great catch!" Well, yeah, but it's a great ball. Trey Lance right. threw the same exact ball out of the end zone. And you said, oh, well, look at that arm. So to me, it's like, dude, it's however you want to spin it. Mac is putting the ball where it's supposed to be, and he's playing with incredible anticipation. Like, there were a lot of times where it was, like, deep over with a big in route behind it that it's like he gets off the deep over and gets to the big in as fast as NFL quarterbacks do, like, in his draw. That's not common. So there's a lot of stuff that it's like his ball placement I thought was great. I thought he demonstrated enough arm talent. People crucified me for the fact that it, I was like, listen, for someone who has a bad arm, Alabama sure ran a hell of a lot of shot plays. You know, yeah. Alabama was taking the roof off everybody for someone who has a, a noodle arm. I don't remember the New York Jets doing that with Chad Pennington. So for me, it's like, is he going to come in and be a top 2% arm guy in the NFL? No. But what everyone else was getting sold as is untrue, too. There wasn't... Mahomes wasn't in this draft. Like, the arm talent that Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers have, that's not in this draft. As much as people, like, think that certain guys looked a certain way, like, don't even begin to tell me that Trevor Lawrence's arm was Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers. He's got a great arm. We're talking about, you know, a top half of half percent of humans on planet Earth, but the NFL is a different level. And these guys that are saying, you know, hey, Mac Jones has a noodle arm and this guy has a cannon. It's just like it, it, it's not as big of a spread as people think it is. 
So yeah. let me ask you this to go because you said something at the beginning of the show that that I thought was interesting, and I'm, I I don't disagree with what you said that Bill Belichick just wants to win. He doesn't care who the quarterback yeah. is. But when it when it comes to Josh McDaniels, and he now has two guys with very different styles, you could almost say opposite yeah. styles that he has to prepare for. How do they go about that? And is there any sort of maybe pressure knowing that, yeah, Cam's here for the year and maybe they want to wait with Mac, but Mac's ultimately the future. Like, how do you balance that? And is there any pressure where, you know, oh, we need to focus on Mac because he's the future or, oh, we need to focus on Cam's offense because he's going to be the guy week one? Well, I think, I mean, to be honest, if there's anything I learned, so I've watched every single New England clip from this season now. If there's anything that I've learned, Josh McDaniels don't care because he's going to run his offense. Everyone's going to say, well, look at the QB power and this. Yeah, he put in like six new plays for Cam to run the ball. Everything else, by and large, was the same exact concepts they ran. Now, maybe they dressed it up with RPO or they dressed it up with emotion, but Josh McDaniel is going to run Josh McDaniel's system. He could care uh-huh. less who the quarterback is. I mean, look, he tried to run it with Tim Tebow, right? He tried to run his system with Tim Tebow. He don't <laughs> care who's back there. So – you know, I, I, I felt something that Evan said really interesting, which is, hey, you know, this is such a scheme-oriented team. And it is. It always has been. New England's about X's and O's, right? Cam has always won based on what we would say Jimmy's and Joe's, right? There's X's and O's coach, and then there's Jimmy's and Joe's, where it's just like, you know, the, you guys remember the U back in the day? That was all about Jimmy's and Joe's, right? We're just better than you. We're going to get off the bus and beat you, and then we're going to fight you in the parking lot after. New England has always been X's and O's centric. So I don't think Josh is going to feel any pressure. I think they're going to run their system that they've always run. And that's where I think Mac Jones has the edge long term is I think the system with the modified quick game and how selective they are with their shots fits Mac's game really, really well. I would look at it from if I'm an offensive coordinator, I'm putting in my system from a passing perspective, and then I have this eight-play package for Cam Newton specifically – that, hey, if Mac takes over, this is a vacuum and I throw it out. So that's how I think they're going to get through it. I, I don't think there's any pressure as a coach one way or another. I think he's probably excited of like, hey, listen, Cam's going to make the next step in this system, so we have a guy who we know. And then if Mac comes in and lights it on fire, cool, let's just turn it over and run with him. And it's going to look a lot more like it did in, in 2018 and 2019. Um, so I wouldn't say there's pressure, but it definitely, man, it, it's – if you wanted to get the most out of Cam Newton, you don't run what New England's been running this whole time. I just don't think they're going to change it because I think they believe they believe in having the right play for every single look versus, hey, we just have better players. And I honestly think that's the reason they've been successful for this period is if you have the right play, no matter the look, you're going to be really good for a long time. If it's person dependent, ugh, we're in trouble. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to be on bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus 
bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's interesting because every time we talk to Josh McDaniels, especially at the beginning of last year, he would push back pretty hard on people that say, basically ask him in 10 different ways, are you going to change the system? You know, are you going to change yeah. the system to fit Cam Newton? He said, it's, it's adapting. It's not, we're not throwing out the foundation of the scheme. We're just going to adapt to it. And like you said, their adaptations are mostly in the running game, right? Adding that, yeah. that 11th player to the running game and the quarterback to manipulate the defense that way. The passing system was more or less the same thing, you know, and it was kind of just, Kim, you, we are going to adapt to you in this way, but you got to learn us in that way. And, and I kind of feel like, there's some good and some bad with that, and certainly there there's elements of the Patriots' thought process that are always adapting to the players, right? Adapting to the players. But for Mac to to me, that you mentioned the modified quick game, it, it's not going to be the same in my mind. The same Tom Brady quick game, right? I think yeah. it is going to be a little bit different than that, and I think RPOs is going to be a huge part of it too, which I did start to do last year with Cam. And there's this whole conversation about is Mac Jones really a good fit for New England, right? Because yeah, there are yeah. some differences about what Alabama did and, and what the Patriots do. And I just wanted to get your take. You know, everybody talks about Mac Jones. You talk about, you know, you mentioned the kill list. And that, that sounds like Brady, right? Like that sounds yeah. like it. those intangible qualities, the competitive nature, the competitive side of him. And some of the ability from the pocket certainly is a lot Patriot-like. And he just feels like a Patriot quarterback just on the surface. But when you dug deep, did, did you feel like he fit the scheme as well as some of the, like, surface-level type of stuff suggests? Yeah, I, I struggle with the, I struggle with the scheme fit because I do, you know, we had, we had hinted at it. One, there's no college system that's going to project perfectly to an NFL system. With that being said... I personally believe if you peel away the layers and you get and you remove yourself from the analytics of uh, so here's an example okay uh, the New England Patriots run motion to bunch and they run a ton of stick right hey corner stick with a speed out Alabama ran that same exact play but out of two by two without the corner and they just ran the stick and they did it off of RPO. To me as a quarterback, having played the position, I know both those routes, so I feel good. On the outside looking in, is it a perfect fit saying, hey, I was reading and pulling versus straight drop back? Of course not. But it's one less thing the kid isn't familiar with. So, yes, on the on the one-for-one examples, I could make the argument that he's not a fit. I just don't really find that intellectually consistent. I think it's all about concepts. And this kid has ran 85% of New England's concepts. And I would also say that I think he's around 50% with the run game concepts, the way New England – New England's a huge outside zone, or they call it to the open side, inside zone, kill it to out strong side, outside zone. They do that all the time. They've done it with Brady. Well, they don't kill. They – you know, how many Patriots fans have heard set up like 21, 20, hold on, hold on, hey, alert, 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 alert. They're just changing to the <laughs> other side, right? Brady right. did that all the time. Alabama did that. They just did it out of pistol, and then he would say, you know, and then they change it. So there's a lot of one-for-one transition or, or correlation there that I like. But I do. I think he's a great fit. They they ran a ton of the deep over with the big post, or uh, sorry, deep over with the big end. 
They ran a ton of running back primary routes, which New England is made famous. Let's double pick the, the linebacker and then get the back in the flat. So, uh, yeah, there's stuff that I could say, oh, well, he didn't do this. But I just think it's all about concepts. And I, and I do think there's a lot of concepts you can rip away. And, and as you peel back, there's a lot of similarities that – as a quarterback, I would feel more comfortable than maybe if I was watching it and had never made that jump. Um, it's so just that's so kind of where I'd say I do think he's, he's well. He's right. Yeah, these aren't seismic shifts either, right? Like yeah. if New England wants to run, you know, a glance concept of some sort and they want to now tack on an RPO to it, right? Yeah. To make it more like Alabama. That, that's still a, really similar to tons of stuff that they've ran over the last 20 years. Similarly, if you strip away the RPO part of it and just have him straight drop back, he's still yeah. doing the same thing. So I think that like, yeah, we could, like you said, you can get into the details of it's not a one for one scheme fit, but it's the same concepts. It's the same, you know, reads. It's the same looks that the quarterback is getting, the same eye angles that he's getting into his routes. It's just, maybe a little bit of a different drop back. So at Alabama, uh, he only ran 11 pass attempts under center his entire career at Alabama. Yeah. He didn't do a ton of under center stuff. They did a lot of pistol and shotgun stuff. So, yeah, maybe, you know, he has to learn to to drop back from under center. Or maybe New England says, Let, let's start using more modified pistol stuff. Let's start, you, yeah. you know, having him be in the shotgun and just do what he's comfortable with and – that's sort of where they can say, okay, we're gonna, we're still gonna have it be a straight drop back. We're not gonna get all into the RPO stuff that Alabama was doing under Sark, but we're gonna do the same exact route combination. You're in the same exact shotgun formation, so you feel more comfortable with it instead of going from under center. And now we've kind of met halfway. Right. And yeah. I think sometimes we get into this like scheme fit discussion and we talk about these, oh, well, Alabama did it with an RPO and the Patriots do it with just standard play action. Like that's a difference. Right. And it's like, in reality, it's, we're talking about minutia. We're talking about detail. Yeah. We're not talking about the, the seismic shifts of the system. And the RPO thing has gotten so blown out of proportion and what people think it is. RPO at the college level in reality is Think of it as the same way. Do you remember how much under center we used to see in the NFL? And then, hey, if we had someone creep in the box, we throw smoke screen outside and you just throw the screen. And it yeah. was, hey, you know, double right, you know, 60 OP, alert X smoke. Like all college RPO is is we're in the gun now. And if the will linebacker is creeping inside, I'm just going to throw the actual concept. And if the will sits, I'm going to give it. It's not like. We're acting as if these make plays so easy. It doesn't make the play easy. You still have to make the throw. You still have to do everything. So the change of going from RPO to traditional dropback literally is the difference between putting the ball out, pivoting your body and throwing, and taking a three-step and throwing. That's the only difference for a quarterback. So if people are going to say, well, he he's a terrible fit now, I don't know. I don't know. And, and – I probably view it as like an easier transition just because I'm in this so much and we actually, you know, we train kids all the time to go from, you know, hey, you're transferring from Iowa to Texas State. Here's what you have to be able to do. So we see it in two weeks, these kids get it. If I was an NFL quarterback coach and I had three months to get this kid ready, it's not like I'm worried. And if they were worried, they wouldn't have taken him at 15. So – 
it's, you know, it's just one of those things that I do think we've blown the RPO out of proportion on what it actually is. And it just, I think it's a, I think it's a way to stir up some, some controversy and, and saying that this kid doesn't fit. If Mac Jones doesn't pan out in New England, it's going to have nothing to do with how many RPOs he ran and then the transition in New England's offense. That's going to have nothing to do with it. Yeah, I, I think that when people – I agree with you on the RPOs. I think people hear option and they think of like old school Tim Tebow, right, running yeah. like this and get ready to pitch the ball back. So you you kind of touched on this, but I, I want to ask you because you, you said you work with kids who are adjusting different systems. And, uh, you know, I, I see now, you know, I, I called – high school football, uh, D3 college football around here. And yeah. I was seeing schools that didn't even kneel down under center. I mean, they were kneeling down yeah. out of the shotgun, like kids who just do not take snaps out of shotgun. So you said you work with this uh, as kids sometimes. And like you said, if, if they weren't confident that he could do it, they wouldn't have taken him. But how tough yeah. is that adjustment? What is that adjustment like to go and be somebody who really hasn't taken a snap under center for four years in suddenly having to start doing that on a regular basis? That's the biggest, if you're going to talk about something that's concerning, that would be the concern because okay. it is uncomfortable getting under center. Uh, you know, when I was with the Rams, Sam Bradford was there. OU never was in the under center, you know, and then right. Sam, there were stories about his rookie year, like dropping snaps all the time under center in practice. What I would tell you is that I have a very strong feeling that Alabama at some point was taking snaps under center throughout practice, whether it's just CQ or whatever. So I think Mac's familiarity with being under center may be higher than his snaps would indicate, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's the concern. Now, you can really expedite it. And Mac was a guy who in college played with his left foot back in the gun and was a traditional drop back when they did drop back. So the footwork's not going to be the issue. The issue is going to be the actual securing of the snap and – New England runs a ton of what we call trap pass. And Tom Brady actually talked about it in an interview with Belichick on the NFL Network, and he talked about yeah. getting it from Peyton Manning. I don't know if you guys remember that clip from like yeah, three yeah, it was, uh, ago. NFL 100 yeah. segment, yeah. That would be the kind of, the kind of plays that are maybe concerning because that requires, you know, securing the snap, seating it, and pivoting before your guard pulls. Those are things that, that, that won't look pretty day one of training camp, so you guys need to prep yourselves for that. But, you know, it's something that I, I do think a guy will either master quickly or they'll say, if we're going to go with this kid, we got to get that out of the playbook. And, and people do that all the time. I mean, Kyler Murray is a perfect example of of making a living from the gun. Now, Cliff's a little different in terms of, of his system and, and Josh. But I do – I just think that would be the concern is going from – all gun under center, but Mac also kind of grew up in a day and age where he probably was under center more in high school. These kids now are the concern. Listen, I've got kids right. that, that from, you know, seven year olds through college won't take a single snap under center. So we also, you know, we counter that by pounding under center traditional drops at their training sessions to hopefully help. But that's the concern. If you've never taken a live snap from under center, in a game, that's going to be tough. I don't think Mac is is in that situation. So, Tim, what is it about Mac? You know, we talk so much about what he's good at to kind of defend the wall, as we call it here, to, to say, you know, he's a lot better than people kind of make him out to be at times. But is there a, a flaw of his that you think 
definitely needs to be fixed, you know, before he can really start to take off. I would, you know, uh, the flaw is going to be the obvious learning curve. Uh, the, the, I, I think the worry would be, hey, listen, nowadays it feels like every young quarterback who's successful has some sort of improv skill, whether it's just a simple, you know, escape here or there. And that would be the argument, right? Does Mac have that? I would just say that I think Mac Jones, you know, his, his improv is from within the pocket. Which to me, as long as you're still able to move and navigate and create, think of it as like scramble drill, right? Part of why the Seahawks are so good is Russell Wilson gets into scramble so often and they're really good at then making guys guard him for a long time. Brady's really good at manipulating the pocket to make guys cover. Brady doesn't get out like Russell, but he still buys time. That's what Mac needs to become. If Mac can do that and navigate the pocket, that will help. And if he proves to be a statue, which I just don't think he is, I think that's more the Davis Mills kid is yeah. like a real guy who can't get out of harm's way. If, if Mac proves to be a statue, it's going to be troublesome. And that would be the, the thing to watch in the preseason is does he have the same sort of one yard movements here and there that he had in college? Does that show up in the NFL? Um, what I've noticed is, you know, if they're doing it in college, it usually then shows up again in the NFL. You know, that was something that a lot of people missed with Brady at Michigan was how good he was at just barely sliding in the pocket. And a lot of people just glazed over it because he never really, you know, he won that job, but never really won that job, you know, which is so funny, right? We have a guy who is going to go down as probably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game and he couldn't win a college job. So it is, it's a, it's a funny dynamic. Well, he never, oh, I guess he did technically win the starting job with the Patriots, but he, ne- like, it's not like he came into camp either and, yeah. and took that job, but you're absolutely right. Uh, with, with Mac, how, so w- when you look at a guy like that or, or, or you just look at these quarterbacks coming out of college, a big conversation now around the NFL is like, when do you make the switch? Do guys need to wait a year? Do you, is the bye week the time? The Patriots have a really late bye week this year. How long does it take? for a, a college quarterback to become NFL ready, a guy working with a base like Mac has? Yeah, that's a great question. It's all about philosophy, right? What's your Is your philosophy that we don't want this kid to struggle? And then he needs to wait a year or two is, you know, to really get ready for the NFL. Because the NFL is just inherently so much better, whether right. it be scheme or, or people. It's just way better. Disguises. If your philosophy is we need to get him exposure and this kid has the kind of backbone to stand up to it, then you just start in week one. Um, uh, so I the, guess for- the, the issue with New England, sorry, the issue with New yeah. England is it's they want to win. There is no right. let's play for the future. That's not in that organization's DNA. They're not for, they're winning now. No matter what, we win. And it's got to be fun to be a fan of that. So that's where, for me, it's like, if that's the mindset, I think Cam Newton probably wins the job in training camp. Now, is it probably a more slippery slope than it was last year for him? Yeah, they're going to turn it over to Matt quicker than they did Stidham, right? But uh, it's such a great question, and it's just an organizational philosophy, and I just think New England's organizational philosophy is to win no matter what. No amount of losing is acceptable. And when that's it. Well, it, it's funny because another big – obviously that's the overarching, you know, belief, but they, 
across positions, not just quarterback, but every position, they're generally very hesitant to play rookies. Yeah. So that, like, that kind of compounds into it. And I guess for, for you as a quarterback's coach, do you believe more that, you know, a, a young quarterback, you want to shelter him and make sure he's going to be able to hit the ground rolling? Or do you believe the only way to get to that point is actual game experience and trial by fire? I believe the, so let me answer this in two ways. I personally believe the only way to do it is trial by fire. Okay. You have to get to know the kid. And if the kid doesn't have the backbone to really be terrible for a year and then still be okay, you, you sit him. I would just tell you that I would never draft a kid who I feel like can't stand up to being really bad at football for a year. But I think that like, listen, and I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize anyone personally. These guys all go through different stuff, but it's part of what happened in Chicago. They turned a kid who I think is maybe not built that way in Trubisky. They just turned him free right away. I think the same thing happened, unfortunately, to Carson Wentz, which is he not only got turned free right away, then someone else came in and won a Super Bowl. You know, it's hard. How It's so hard to know how these kids are built until they're in massive amounts of adversity. And the thing is, if you're a first-round quarterback – you've probably always been the best kid on the playground. Right. Right? That's what's nice about a guy like Brady when you draft him in the sixth round. He's already been through hell. Playing at Michigan for him was hell. So when you then get to the NFL and and, and Bill Belichick yells at you because you missed the deep over route, that's kind of easy. Right? Right. These guys who have been five-star prospects their whole lives and everything catered to them, and then someone yells at them, and that's hard. And listen, we can say whatever we want about the kids. Part of it's also the way we're, you know, raising them and coaching them and doing all this stuff. So I don't know, man. I I would tell you that I think the only way to do it is trial by fire. I would also tell you that I would be looking for a different kind of kid in the pre-draft process. I just happen to believe that Mac Jones is one of those kind of guys. I think so. I mean, look, he had a, he had a sit at Alabama behind Tua and, and behind Jalen Hurts. So he's yep. kind of been through that as well. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Josh Rosen's a guy I always felt I was super high on him going into 2018. Yeah. And then he just gets put behind that historically bad offensive line. And I think that that experience mentally just cooked him. Um, yep. wh- one last question before for you before we let you go here. It's actually not about the Patriots, but I, I just, yeah. I, I have to ask. I'm a big fan of, of the spring leagues that have started up the XFL, the AAF. I know yep. you've worked with PJ Walker, you've worked with Luis Perez, guys that I had a ton of fun watching. Uh, what has it been like working with those guys? And, and when it comes to those leagues, do you see those? Obviously, it's worked for a guy like PJ, yeah. who's now in Carolina. Do you see those leagues as a legitimate stepping stone, a legitimate second chance for guys to not just get back to the NFL, but build lasting NFL careers? I mean, that's a great question. So one, I think the leagues, there has to be a secondary league, right? The, the, yeah. The thing that's tough about football right now is, and let's talk quarterback specifically because that's kind of where I I feel the best. We have, we've, we've catered the rules to now eliminate that third quarterback. In reality, very rarely do we carry three in the NFL anymore. When they made that switch, we saw, in my opinion, the level of like the Kurt Warner type developmental prospects get eliminated from the game. There needs to be an alternative where these guys can go and get reps and get film. Do I think that PJ is, is, I think he's an anomaly, right? The fact that he was able to go there, be successful and then transition and be ready to go in the NFL right away. But we would see a better turn. We would see more consistent 
backup quarterbacks getting produced from those leagues, which then in turn make the league better. Right. Now, the, the interesting thing is going to be in what way can this get done? Is it an XFL, which is a true different league without the NFL support, or does it need to be through the shield somehow? That's where I think the dynamic is going to be tough. I almost view it as, and this is going to be terrible. It's a terrible analogy, but almost the, the NBA and how the WNBA and how they help pay some of the league's expenses. Right. That's what I would see the NFL and whatever this spring league turns into. Because if the NFL were to say, we do need better veterans and better backups and we need another pool to pull from and they were to subsidize some expenses. That's how I think it could be long-term successful. Unfortunately, I do think the XFL is probably primed to do that last year and then COVID hits. And then obviously, you know, they weren't, they weren't funded to that capacity. You know, it's interesting. If you're, if you're running a secondary league, you're going to try to compete with talent and pay with the NFL which I just view as probably unsustainable at this point. Um, and that's where I just think it's it's going to be hard. I think it's needed. Um, it's just going to be the way in which it gets done will be fascinating from a business perspective. And frankly, I don't know if the NFL wants to do that. The NFL might just be sitting there going like, listen, we have the best farm league ever created in college. Why do we need another league? Um so that'll be interesting. And then I just think it's hard because no one really gets into business to be the little brother, right? They want to compete. And it's just going to be tough to take on the NFL from a pay and fan perspective uh, just for anyone starting up. Right. It's, it's, funny, it's funny you mentioned the symbiotic relationship because we actually – we went on some tangent. I forget how we got there on Tuesday yeah, um, bring that up. about – you know, the NFL Europe model where the NFL sends some players over to those teams and the rest of it's filled out by the league and the problem, like obviously don't do it in Europe again, you know, have it be more local, but like that model, it it, it kind of feels like developmentally, like that model is something that, that might work. Yep. And I just think, listen, as a business, spring football can be done just because America's appetite for football, like, what are you more likely to watch? You know, the Colorado Rockies play game 83 or the Houston Roughnecks play game one of six, right? You're going to watch right. the Roughnecks and that's what made it special. You got to go to the communities that love football. Houston was one of them. You know, I think Alabama, when they did that AFL deal or Alliance or whatever, I think that was a good fit. You got to go to some of these communities that love football, but that there is an appetite for spring football. No matter what people say, if they're like, oh, this, this, the gameplay actually sucked, they were watching. Which is all that matters. Right. I mean, the uh, the XFL's TV ratings, I I think, were in line with some of NBA playoff games. So it's like, yeah. dude, if you know people are going to watch football now, how you do it from a business perspective, that's going to be the fascinating thing. But I do think, you know, leveraging sports gambling and all these different things would probably be the way to do it from a business perspective. And I'm sure someone way smarter than me is going to figure it out. Uh, but I do think it's needed in terms of developing consistent guys that can fill out a roster more effectively, or we'll get a PJ or a Kurt Warner every once in a while that it's like, wow, good thing we had these leagues. Um, but I, but I do think it's needed. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this as Alex said uh, a few days ago on our earlier in the week on our Tuesday show, and it just feels like, especially nowadays in the NFL, there's so few live reps 
for everybody to go around. and Especially and quarterback, a quarterback. Yeah, quarterback yeah. specifically. Like, Jared Stidham's just been sitting on the bench for, for two years, right? Like, he's yeah. taken, like, he's thrown, like, 50 passes, if that, in an NFL game and has one rookie preseason under his belt. And then everything else is, is behind the scenes at practice, where a lot of the time, especially during the season, they're not even going – Live, you know, they're not really truly going yeah. 100%. And he's not even running the Patriots stuff. He's running the scout team. Scout team stuff. Right. So I understand that there's an injury risk involved here, right? That if the Patriots who have Jared Sidham under contract allow him to go play in a developmental league and he tears his ACL, then that's an, an asset lost, so to speak, right? But at the same time, like, he's never going to get any better. Like he, he's never going to get any better just without those reps. And we talk also a lot of, you know, quarterbacks is the big one, but like offensive line play around the league is such, that's such a repetition type of a position. And it, it's had a really big downturn, I would say depth in O-line in the last, you know, four or five years. And if we had a developmental league where, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Will Sherman who the Patriots just drafted in the sixth round can go in this spring and get live game reps against people, uh, you know, kind of like the, the senior bowl or kind of like, you know, these spring leagues, uh, that's going to be huge for his development. And he's going to get a lot better, a lot faster and get to a point where he can contribute on an NFL team. I, I, I just, there's so many guys on an NFL roster and then you add in the practice squad that just don't get that opportunity to get those live reps. And if anything, they make some extra cash and they get to go out there and Jared Stidham gets to be a star in the AAF or whatever yeah. it is. And that's cool. Or maybe he actually does turn a corner and develop in, yeah. in, in game action. I mean, he hasn't played a game uh, other than mop-up duty since Auburn, you know, besides the preseason, obviously. So it's just, I don't know, it feels like the NFL could really benefit uh, in terms of their developmental tracks and and their depth as a league from allowing some of these players to play in these spring leagues, even if there is some inherent injury risk involved with the fact that maybe somebody could get hurt. And they're probably, you know, if you think about it from just a quarterback perspective, if you're a bona fide number two, they probably don't send you, right? right. Exactly. They're sending the fringe guy, or they're sending Jarrett Stidham this year. If Cam turns out to be the one, Mac Jones wins the two, and Jarrett Stidham doesn't make the roster, that's who they're sending. So I do think that it's, to me, advantageous for the team and the player and then it's just the dynamic of, you know, and it is so hard, right? Because the players union, and I get it because I play, but the players union has like, now they only have three preseason games and there's, there's only X amount of live periods during training camp and walkthroughs right. have to be at a certain tempo. And it's hard because when you have a strong union like the players do, it skews older. And when you're an older player, you don't feel like you need that and you don't. The difference is it's not about the older players needing it, right? I, I remember, here's a great story. When I was in training camp with the Rams, it was the first year that they had, maybe not, but it was one of the first years that they had banned real two-a-days. And Brian Schottenheimer, you know, he had been around training camp his whole life because of his dad, Marty. He was telling us, like, dude, back in the day, uh, the second practice was only rookies, right? Like, vets were out there, but just the rookies were getting reps. That to me, when I think about and hear that, it makes no sense to get rid of those practices, right? If they were taking care of the vets anyways, you're just you're just making it harder for young kids to make the roster. 
And if that's the goal, okay. But to me, that's where then that developmental league would make sense. But it is hard because they're just so – there's no live reps to go around anymore. If you're not in the top two, good luck. You're not getting any rep outside of rookie period and then the occasional preseason game. But even then, you're probably not getting that much. So it's it's such a weird di- – it's just a weird – it's so hard to navigate – with with all the rules and everything as well. So I do think a developmental league would just – guys like Stidham, if he ends up getting let go this year, it would benefit him so much having another place to go play and then showcase for whether the Patriots want him back or someone else. Yeah, the Patriots used to have a period after practice they called basic, and they would allow the rookies – and some of the, you know, second, third year types of players that were depth guys, got you know, the backup centers, you know, those types of players, they would all go over to the field after practice and they would stick stuff, you know, just, just your core group of yep. plays. And the, the story is that back in 2000, Brady used to lead basic. Like it was, it was the Brady show, right? He, he would bring yeah. all these guys over and, and nobody would leave the field until Tom was ready to leave the field. And that was sort of where all these rumors and all this kind of, uh, you know, behind the scenes type of whispers started about this competitive Tom Brady and, and this guy that is maniacal in terms of, of his work ethic. And a couple of years ago, because rules from the NFLPA and stuff like that that they've collectively bargained, I, I had a Patriot player tell me that they did away with basic. They don't do it anymore. And, and yeah. it's like, so, so where, where is the, you know, where is these guys supposed to develop? You know, where are these guys supposed to get reps if they don't even do that anymore? You know, they don't, they, let alone two a days and all that kind of stuff. They're not even doing basic, which wasn't even meant to be like this, you know, live full on contact. It was more like kind of just like a passing type of camp, right? And, and, yeah. it, but it was still good reps against good, you know, NFL caliber talent. And I, I think that maybe two years ago, the Patriots did away with that as well because of the, of the, basically because of the PA and because of like the rules yeah. against it. So it's just, uh, it's a really fascinating convo. I'm glad, Tim, we really appreciate you staying for an extra 15 minutes here or so to, uh, to discuss all that with us. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter, uh, your YouTube channel? Yeah. I mentioned that at the beginning of the show, but I want to Make sure you get those plugs in. Yeah, so just Twitter, it's at T Jenkins Elite, and YouTube is all things QB. And then if they have a quarterback in in Houston, Phoenix, or Denver, we've got locations, and I'd love to work with them. So I appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was a it was a blast. No problem, Tim. And we definitely want to have you on again uh, to see uh, what you think of whoever wins the starting quarterback job. You can break down some of the tape and uh, give us your take on it as well. But definitely go ahead and follow Tim, follow his YouTube channel as well. Uh, if you want to learn more about quarterbacks, uh, as you can tell, Tim, Tim's tim got a great mind for it. And he, he, he gets into that next level of like he actually can call out the play call and give you the verbiage of how it sounds and all that kind of stuff. And I, I know I always dig that. So if, if you want to get some more uh, knowledge on your X's and O's and check out Tim's stuff on Mac Jones, uh, make sure to go ahead and do that. But until uh, next week, signing off for Alex Barth, our very special guest, Tim Jenkins. I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for listening, everybody.